You know, we have been working on a distributed environment where you use intelligent sensors to monitor all these behaviors all around the world. Whether it's, you know, your supplier in an earthquake region or whether your supplier next door says, I'm sorry, I'm going to be two days late. Do I need to respond to that? Do I need to change the plan? So that makes the system very flexible and very responsive. Welcome to Uptech Report. This is our Apply Tech series. Uptech Report is sponsored by TerraLeap. Learn how to leverage the power of video at TerraLeap.io. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Cyrus Hadavi, who's based in LA, California. He's the CEO at Adexa. Welcome, Cyrus. Good to have you on. Hi, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Now, Adexa is an intelligent supply chain planning software. So you really focus on helping enterprise um, manufacturing suppliers out there when it comes to planning their, their supply chain. Did I get that correct? Yes. So yes. help me understand, you, you didn't start, you started actually, what, what year did you begin? Um, uh, back in 1994, Adexa was uh, founded. Uh, wow. Am I beginning to date myself? Help me understand, obviously, that probably the challenges have changed over the years of, of who you're serving, or maybe they haven't. I'm curious, what is the problem you see right now? Well, you know, most people, they take supply chain for granted until we had COVID-19 and everybody says, oh, my God, supply chain. Oh, now I understand. So, you know, supply chain, I always say, show me a great company. I'll show you a great supply chain. It's just the bloodstream of every business, um, how to get the right product at the right time, at the right place. And that is extremely complicated when you have thousands, if not tens of thousands of different products on how much inventory do you keep, where do you keep it, how much do you make, how much you don't make, where do you make it, where do you store it. You know, when you go to the, to the grocery store, you, you know, just assume everything is granted. You just pick up what you want until you run out of toilet papers. And with COVID-19, you realize how hard it is. And by the way, toilet papers are produced actually in this country. It's not even dependent on foreign made products. So that kind of gives you a, a feel for how critical supply chain is for every business. Take me on this journey then, going back to, to 1994, when you, when you began at Exa, like what, what did it start? The, the initial challenge that you saw, you're like, I'm going to solve this. Did you immediately see uh, uh, the issues with supply chain and you want to just jump in? Well, I, I go even before that, which I'm going to tell you how old I am. Um, you know, when I did my uh, PhD thesis in, in, in artificial intelligence, as far as in the 80s, and most people think AI is a new thing. So, and then I also did some um, industrial management uh, courses and degrees um, while I was studying in England. So I started my career at Siemens Research Labs where I worked on problems of planning and scheduling. And then um, I realized that, you know, for decades people have been applying operations research techniques to planning problems. And, you know, it's nice as a theory but in most cases, it's not, it wasn't working back then. So I said, how about taking AI strategy and techniques to this complex problem? And that's how I started working, uh, combining AI techniques 
to manufacturing, to supply chain issues and problems. And we're very successful with uh, a number of divisions within Siemens. And then, you know, I was there for about 10 years. I left and I started with a very small startup company in the same area. Um, I was there for a couple of years, just for two years. I said, you know, I can do this better. So I left and I started up at DEXA. I started as a consulting company. I worked with a number of great companies for a year or so, designed the software. And then, uh, you know, the rest is history. And, you know, we were growing for the first three years, we were growing like 300%, the year after that, 3,000% and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's been a wonderful experience. Doing your PhD on AI, artificial intelligence, you said in the, in the 80s, how has AI stayed the same and changed since then? You know, AI actually was invented back in the 50s. But the kind of requirements and processing that is needed for artificial intelligence, machine learning, required a lot of memory and it required incredibly uh, powerful computing power. Back then, we didn't have it. We, we had the algorithms. We had the search algorithms. You know, we had the uh, pattern recognition algorithms and so on, but the speed of computing wasn't there. And now with all the big data, and the reason why big data is important is because there's so much data coming at you. And the question is, hey, what is the relevance of, you know, weather in Africa to my production in Europe? That's why you get so much data coming at you and there's so much, every consumer behavior, every product design, all of these are interrelated. So you want to keep them in a big place and then look at them and process them and say, ah, so, you know, when this happens, this is going to happen. So you can predict the future by learning the patterns that are going on in the universe. Yeah, when you were working at Siemens and a bit later, were you actually like uh, writing and developing actual algorithms themselves, like trying to decide, are we use this here and this here? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We had, uh, you know, we developed algorithms. We had patents on uh, for the first time in in, in supply chain planning algorithms. Um, there, it, it, it's a very interesting, dynamic, complex, and it's getting more and more complex. Um, look at the number of disruptions we have been facing recently. You know, from COVID-19 is kind of an exception, but not really, because companies are losing hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, I have backup for this statement every year because of disruptions. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, Texas freeze, tornadoes on the East Coast, Suez blockage because of this being stuck. Who, I mean... It happens all the time. Now, these are the ones that we hear about, but disruptions also happen when all of a sudden people say, wow, I like red shirts more than green shirts. And all of a sudden demand goes up for red shirts. What do you do? You know, all of a sudden toilet papers are scarce. What do you do? How do you respond to it? So the companies are relying now on systems, so-called digitalization, in order to see if something happens, what are my choices? How do I respond? But even more importantly, they use the system to predict what can happen because you know what? My supplier in the month of December is always two weeks late. That's an underlying current in your supply chain that 
machine learning can tell you so you can account for it. So that level of disruption, complexity, consumer demands, I want it the same day, Mr. Amazon. You know, if you, if you were Amazon, what do you keep? Where do you keep it? How many of the, these items do you keep? And these have to do with prediction and understanding consumer behavior and making sure that you have the right product at the right place at the right time. If you could go back to yourself, um, you know, 20 years ago and, and share something that you know now, being the leader of, of a deck set over this, with the 27 years, but taking the knowledge you have now, is there anything you would go back and, and say to yourself then? As a scientist, as well as a business owner and so on, you all respond to the demands of the market. The demands of the market back then was very different to the demands of the market now. Um, what happened was that, you know, in the 40s and 50s, or uh, people concentrated on worker efficiency, machine efficiency. And then, you know, people came along and said, it's not really equipment efficiency, it's factory efficiency. And then they said, yeah, that makes sense because one equipment is isolated. What matters is the throughput. And then people came and said, I'm not really, no, it's the whole enterprise efficiency. You know, how do we work end to end? And then later on, you know, supply chain comes along and says, no, it's the end to end supply chain. That's what the efficiency is. So that's how we have been responding to the market, understanding the needs and, and, and the way we view the problem and address the issues. Interesting. So the, the very uh, fundamentals of what you're tracking or the, yeah, the KPIs is, is, has changed over the years. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it makes sense to look at the end-to-end -end efficiency. You know, people talk about green impact or green supply chains. And then you say, yeah, I'm going to go and buy a nice uh, electric vehicle. But then if you look at the end-to-end -end cycle, these batteries, how were they made? Where are they going to end up? Because their life is kind of limited and short. Um, and then overall impact on the planet, on the climate, everything else that goes with it. Then the question is, am I really contributing to improving climate um, change and so on? Uh, maybe you are, maybe you're not. I don't know. But that's what matters to look at the end to end. You know, we look at, for example, uh, companies are struggling with planning cycle times. It takes them two weeks, three weeks to plan for production. What we come in and say, well, from end to end, you can do it within hours. Why would you spend three or four weeks to do that? You know, you can respond and make changes to the plan. But now, we're going even further than that. We're doing continuous planning. Like as events take place, we revise, re repair, and improve the plan as they happen. So it's uh, kind of looking at the problem holistically and trying to make sure that you're really addressing the issues, the underlying currents and everything that goes with it. I'm curious, as... You mentioned just a little bit ago about being a scientist and a business leader. Do you feel that you've built your company differently than maybe another type of uh, a, a founder or leader? And if so, how, how have you approached it from a scientist background and building this company? 
You know, that's a great question. And, and you know, we are all so proud of technology that we have built. And, you know, if anything, I would say we've put so much more emphasis on the technology, on engineering, than we should have put in sales and marketing. And maybe the question you asked earlier, what would you have done differently? Maybe we should have put a lot more emphasis on sales and marketing, and what we didn't. And, and you know, people that we have, you know, we, on average, for example, in R&D, our team players are average of 17, 18 years with us. And they're so passionate about what they have built, what they have made. Um, and, and it's very interesting because we have been moving in time with what matters, you know, if you look at supply chain technology today, people are so focused on this big centralized so-called sales and operation planning systems, SNOP. I mean, these systems are good. They're great. People are using it. People are buying them today. But is it going to handle all the real-time events that are coming at you? You know, weather changes, hurricanes, suppliers late, customer asks for more. This big chunk of you know, software is not reactive, it's not responsive enough to do that. So we, you know, we have been working on a distributed environment where you use intelligent sensors to monitor all these behaviors all around the world, whether it's you know, your supplier in an earthquake region or whether your supplier next door says, I'm sorry, I'm gonna be two days late. Do I need to respond to that? Do I need to change the plan? So that makes the system very flexible and very responsive. Well, as a, a, a business leader who's, who's built an, and, and run a company for, for 20, coming up 30 years, what would you say is your, your biggest uh, uh, lesson learned? If you had to speak to another uh, business leader, another founder, uh, and, and share a word of wisdom or a tactic that worked well, that got you where you are today, what comes to mind? For every function in the company, get somebody who can do it better than you. You know, uh, check the ego <laughs> outside mm -hmm. because, you know, if I'm looking for a, a, a developer, a, a system architect, they have to know what they're doing better than you, better than anybody else, in fact. A, a salesperson, a marketing person. Because if we don't do that, we're shrinking. We need to kind of grow it. And the way... Growth is not just by the number of employees, it's just by the quality of people that we get. And, you know, it's a cliche that, you know, people are, you know, they ask them, oh, of course they are. I mean, what would you do without people? Um, it's, it's incredibly important to spend the time. And I learned this lesson back in year 2000. I don't know if you remember or not, because, um, you know, there, there was this... Uh, a bubble that was growing and, and, and you know, we were growing like so fast and we were hiring people left, right and center. And, and, and you know, we had a hard time finding good people or right people, etc. cetera. Um, but, and then we do realize that, you know, this is gonna stop. We can't just go out and hire anybody. We just need to hire because we're looking for quantity. You know, Wall Street was telling us, hey, you know, how big are you? How many people do you have? How many salespeople do you have? And, you know, that, that's something which really every company, even today, you know, it takes, uh, we take a lot of time to get 
very high quality individuals. Hmm. What do you look for in, in your own hires? Well, you know, most of the resumes that come to us, they're already qualified. You know, they come from great universities. They've had the good track record. All of that is right there. The question really is what kind of uh, emotional intelligence they have, what kind of mentality they have in terms of teamwork, in terms of growth, in terms of passion. Because, you know, most people get fired not because they don't know their job, it's because of the attitude. I mean, let's face it, it's, it's just they don't get along with others, they don't want to do what they are supposed to be doing. Not that they don't know it, it's just that kind of cultural fit is critical. Mm-hmm. You have people who have you know, high integrity, people who are team players, people who are honest with each other. It doesn't mean that you don't challenge the company, challenge the system. No, quite the contrary. If everybody agrees, they're in the wrong place. No, absolutely. So we need to have honest people, people who care, mm-hmm. and people who want to work with each other to grow. Because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, everybody is absolutely important, but more importantly, the company, which means all the individuals in the company are more important because that's, you know, if I hire great players here and a mediocre player here, if he's not carrying or she's not carrying her load, you know, all these others are going to leave. So that's basically, you know, focus on the quality of people that you have and, and, and they're cultural uh, relevance to the company. For you starting as a, if I understand correctly, more of a consulting company to start with and then building out software um, where today you are now, are you considered a software or SaaS model the way you approach it? Yes. Well, software for a long time was uh, so-called on-premise. So we have a lot of customers who use our software on-premise. Now, for many reasons. Uh, Big companies, as well as small companies, they like software as a service because it removes a lot of work internally within the company. You you put it all on on a cloud somewhere, and then we take care of administration, we take care of everything for you. You just run it, get results, and everybody is happy. And Wall Street likes it because you you don't own the software. Uh, You have to pay every year, every month to be able to use it. So is this recurring predictive revenue obviously is very important. Um, so yeah, we offer our software now as, as, as a service. What's that, that evolution from consulting into software and now SaaS, what would you say is, is the biggest lesson learned uh, of that process? Well, you know, consulting helps because you understand the nature of the problems and challenges that the companies are going through. So working with them, helping them, and obviously as a consultant, what I was doing uh, was helping them to, to understand, for me to understand the challenges and to help them to design business processes that you know they can use in order to be more efficient and better. Now, technology comes into it because it increases the velocity of speed. Same process. 
you know, you can add, whether you have a calculator, you can add a lot faster. So a business process, you can forecast your demand a lot faster. You can uh, plan your supply a lot faster. You can send signals to your supplier a lot sooner. So a system essentially improves your cash to cash cycle. It improves your commitment dates to your customer. It reduces the you know, operation costs because you can identify the problems or keep the right level of inventory very quickly. So all of these are essentially uh, business process as well as technology. And then of course, people put together, that's really uh, the secret sauce. I, I'm curious as a, as a, a business leader, it's like you've obviously seen the ups and downs that, that come with, with, with running the business. What would you say was one of the most challenging times that, that you were able to make it through and, and, and continue to grow from there? But that, that challenging moment maybe was a plateau or a difficult time. Can you, can you think of one and, and share one? Uh, you know, given the history of our company, I can think of many, but, uh, you know, the challenging times are things that happened, for example, in 2008, what happened in 9-11, what happened in, you know, the bubble burst in 2000. Um, you know, those are the kinds of, and, and, and the problem is that, you know, you hire great people, you work with them, and things happen which are out of your control. And, you know, if you don't take the right action, the ship is going to sink. Mm. So having to downsize or right size um, in certain instances, which is the nature of every business, um, it's probably was probably the hardest time for me. How do you handle that as a, as the one who's having to make those decisions? How did it make you feel? How do you personally uh, motivate yourself through it or, or keep going and having the right mindset? You know, the only thing I can keep telling me if I don't do this, everybody else is going to sink. So your choices are very clear. And in business, you need to have a clear mind. You know, you need to have a warm heart and a clear head. Um, but it's when, when choices are that clear to you, you have no other choice. It, and besides, it, the board is up there to say, hey, man, what are you doing about this? So what do you tell them? So you put the blame on them, right? <laughs> the board's got told me got to do it. I, this this um, constant of, of ebb and flow or constant moving forward, what drives you? Like what keeps you excited? Uh, both about this space, about the run of the company and just moving forward. You know, what keeps me excited is when I see our customers, they, the way they use the software and the way they benefit from it. And I really mean that because, you know, some of our customers, when, when they went through COVID, they switched their supply chain. One of them, is changed a major uh, apparel manufacturer, changed from hosiery to face masks practically, you know, virtually overnight. Another customer, they change the configuration of their supply chain because of tariffs from China to make sure that they are optimizing the, um, the, 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 the cost of their products. Mm -hmm. And they did that overnight. Um, you know, when you see that and when you realize that, you know, as, you know, a relatively small company, you know, we are not Procter & Gamble, you know, we are contributing to the economy. I mean, I can honestly say 
we have saved companies billions and billions of dollars because of the amount of inventory they're saving, because of gaining market share. Um, and, you know, we worked with companies, not just in the U.S., also in Japan, in Taiwan. You know, one of our customers uh, provides 70% of semiconductor chips in the world. Can you imagine? I'm thinking about, man, they are actually using our technology. How critical the semiconductor um, is, especially today. Oh. And yet, they're using our software to commit to their customers and to ensure that they are producing it at the lowest possible cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, this to me, if this doesn't make, doesn't make go you feel. Else, yeah, it's like you, you're, you're, you can see your, your impact on the entire global economy. How does that make you feel? I hope you can see the excitement in, yeah. in what you're doing. And, you know, it, it is important because it's not just me, everybody else, people in R&D, they're sitting back there at home now, you know, they're more productive than before. And, you know, typing away um, and, 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 and producing this incredible technology. And when they see that, they feel that they have enabled these companies. They feel that they have been part of the, 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 this global economy. Um, you know, on top of that, it's good that, you know, we are contributing to the economy. We are hiring people. You know, we are exporting our software to, you know, Europe, Middle East, um, South Africa, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and Asia and so on. So, you know, these are, and, you know, as a, as a, as a young person, young student at the university, I never imagined that I could be able to contribute this way and create this environment, not just for myself, but also for the whole team and then contributing to the economy and being part of the global economy. Coming from being getting your, your PhD in, in, in artificial intelligence in the 80s and then working at Siemens and then being able to start run your own a business focused on supply chain planning. What do you see as the future then? Like lo- looking ahead uh, of where supply chain management and supply chain planning for, for, for manufacturers and suppliers everywhere, uh, what do you see? You know, there is no question that the systems, they are getting more intelligent. They're going to get a lot more intelligent. And this has been going on for a long time. You know, I think from what I remember, 40% of jobs lost is not because companies went and started manufacturing, I know, in, in, in Vietnam or China or whatever. It was because of automation. Now, what we are doing, we are bringing automation to the kind of jobs that white-collar workers are, are engaged in. Mm-hmm. And this level of intelligence requires people who are doing this kind of job right now, they can train themselves to go even higher levels of um, function that they have for the company. For example, the planners in companies, they, they do a very critical job in every company. We help them to make fast decisions. Over time, we can 
help them to augment their decisions and, and, and recommend decisions to them, et cetera, et cetera. So the level of, the, 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 the level of um, help that the system offers the users is going to increase more and more and more to the extent that now they can think more strategically. They become data engineers. They become people who can say, yeah, you know, in the long run, this is how we need to redesign the supply chain. In the long run, this is how we need to renegotiate with our suppliers. So then, you know, instead of allocating this job to this equipment or calling the supplier says, can you send it sooner? Yeah, you know, this is good. I mean, it's critical, but now the system can take care of that. You know, now we, we, are, we are creating uh, uh, intelligent robotic processes that interacts with the suppliers. And when they are late or when they don't respond, they say, you know, what's going on? And, and then if they respond and say, we're gonna be two days late, and, you know, remember that information, tell another agent, say, hey, they're gonna be two days late, pre-plan. And, and that takes care of everything automatically. And then later on, after six months, they come and say to the management, hey, this particular supplier keeps delivering late, late, late. Uh, you might as well change the delivery time from two weeks to three weeks. Mm. So that, then you create a much more accurate plan and or you find another supplier. So, you know, these undercurrents in the supply chain, there's so much that we don't see, but the systems can detect that and they can bring it to the surface. If somebody, for example, goes to L'Oreal's website and keeps looking at a particular brand of lipstick, whatever the case might be. That is an indication that there might be much higher demand for this product in the next three months. So monitoring the activities on the website, all of these requires, you know, this machine learning and intelligence. And this is what I meant by all this data and all these events coming at you and how do you deal with it. And, and that's really what, what I see moving on to the future. The other thing is that companies now, you know, uh, we have drones delivering same day perhaps. I mean, it's already here. So as a manufacturer, how do you respond to this digital marketplaces and say, uh, I, I'll, give you, I'll give you what you need. And how do you do that? How do you respond to that? How do you plan for that? And, you know, a simple racing bicycle has 11,000 different configurations. Can you keep them in inventory? No but you can respond to it and build them very fast. So that level of responsiveness automation is, you know, next day delivery from FedEx, who would have thought of that? Same day delivery from Amazon, who would have thought of that? How, you know, one hour glass, you know, making, just the time is shrinking and you need to increase the velocity of doing business. And that's what the challenge of supply chain is. Do you see in that last piece, you're just painting a picture, uh, the shrinking of the quantity of supply needed? Will just the, the, the system will be smart enough so that the actual manufacturing of said items will be more on demand and less just build a whole bunch and then wait until we sell it? To some extent, yes. But, you know, certain products like semiconductor chips, they take months to be built. And they're getting more complex and the length of build. So yes, you can make things very, a lot more 
responsive factories manufacturing, but you really need to be able to predict to see what is my demand going to be like in such and such months of the year. Why is the case? Figure out what the causes are and what's causing those demand changes. You can figure out uh, in month of September, I'm getting hurricanes in east coast of the United States in these areas. I have two suppliers there. What if they get hit by hurricane? What are my choices? What are my options? Have I designed my supply chain to be resilient? Mm-hmm. So systems that you know we are creating helps the team to predict that and to be able to know about it. And Is it right the way it works right now, would it be just prompting you and saying, by the way, uh, this weather thing is going to be coming up next year. You should probably consider something else. Is, is that happening oh, right now? Or is that- absolutely. It's, it says, you know, this supplier in the months of June is going to be, uh, their, their lead time is longer. Certain pieces of equipment, now we are, we are what we call uh, probabilistic or stochastic planning now, which means that the capacity of your equipment or your subcontractors is not always a constant. It changes depending on the season. Delivery performance in Ohio in winter is different from you know, Ohio in summer. All of this information is available. We learn from it. And then we build it into the plan as well as making recommendations to the management and saying that performance of the supplier, performance of subcontractor or equipment, et cetera. You said a little bit earlier also how the, this is truly automating the knowledge worker in, in many ways now, or the, uh, the blue collar, or those who are, are manning this, but it's not displacing them and rather it's, it's uh, lifting them up to, the, to play more of an advisor or, or strategic role. If you were to speak to, to someone in, in this type of role, um, what are you going to, what would you encourage them that they need to be focusing on? Um, it's like everything else. You need to constantly educate yourself. You know, things are changing. I've been educating myself as to, you know, what is changing? What do I need to know? What do I need to know? You know, every day we have newer techniques, better algorithms, um, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, obviously this is not my primary job, but I need to understand what is happening manufacturing, what is happening to companies, what is happening to geopolitical, all of these is just a matter of educating myself so that I can get better at what I'm doing. And, you know, not with our users, with everyone, I think, unless we constantly go through this education process. At some point, obviously, I would become redundant. So, it's a matter of time, really. Well, it's just a matter of time of where you're putting to, to educate yourself. Let me ask a more pragmatic or very just a tactical question. Uh, how are you educating yourself right now? Like uh, in, Maybe in the past, we'd open the, the newspaper and look at it, or we, we'd go to take a class at a school. But in, in today's era, where are you personally, not a system, but personally as a human, getting your sources of data and information and keeping yourself educated? Yeah, there are plenty of publications, such as uh, reports from, let's say, uh, McKinsey and Company. There are, uh, you know, reports in publications like Economist, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. You know, there are a lot of relevant. And then you look at them, you read them, and then they reference other publications that you go to in order to get a better understanding as to what's going on. It's a matter of uh, finding the right uh, 
uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, publications in the industry that we look at. And then on top of that, you look at what the market needs, what the customers are asking. And, you know, you, you put the whole thing, a lot of things, by the way, that we are coming out with, customers never asked us. It's, you know, it's, it's like what Ford said about, you know, what do you say? So it was about, um, I forget, it's, it's about uh, get, get more horses if you want to go faster as opposed to getting a car. So nobody knew about cars. Part of our job is to bring in, I mean, who knew about a cell phone being able to do all of this? Nobody asked for it. There a lot of innovation is the, the, the kind of distributed agents that I just talked about. Nobody asked for that, but we have created that in order to be able to respond this huge amount of data coming in. So it's, uh, it's more of a you know, research, development, and understanding the future, educating ourselves, you know, bringing all of this. And then you know, on top of that, creating that environment where people can innovate, can change and have the freedom to do what they need to do in order to address some of these interesting, exciting times that are ahead of us. Uh, I, I love it. I love it. Let me ask just a kind of a fun question I like to ask. Um, is there any favorite software or a technology as a consumer, uh, cheap, cheap software that, uh, or technology that you like and, and use in the past little while? Uh, I think there are a lot of them around, but the best form of software and technology, high tech type of software that you get is one that is intuitive. You don't need user manuals. You take it, you start using it right away. You don't know all the different complexities and power and capabilities of it, but you can use it right away. And it solves the problem for you or it improves what you're doing in, in performance. Um, um, Apple is a good example of it. Mm. You know, it, it's, it, I get the phone, I start using it. I, I hit a couple of buttons here and there, and then I know what's going on. That consistency in terms of training the user as they use the software and leading them to the right place. Uh, you know, a bad example is when you do a search on, uh, on a search engine. You get 20,000, 20 million responses. I don't want that. I don't need that. <laughs> uh, you know, and then people, you know, start paying in order to get to the, that's not a good example of software when you're not getting the answer you're looking for, or you're getting so many that the real answer gets lost. Interesting that the, the definition of, of a good software versus bad software, you paint the picture of, particularly in the consumer world, that great software is, is so easy. It's just, you, there's no user manual needed. It just makes sense and it works. Do you, in the, in the B2C world, definitely, do you see the same in the B2B environment? Oh, absolutely. Because now in B2B, it's not so much about just optimizing the supply chain. It's also collaboration and more recently, about negotiation. So when I'm working on my software, on my plan, for example, as a planner, all of a sudden I may want to ask my manager a question or ask a supplier a question. I would like to see a little window on the corner of my you know, laptop or whatever and dial him in and ask him, hey, can you deliver two days from now or one day from now? 
uh, and then you know they respond or you ask a manager which one of these products have higher priority because you know we have a conflict in capacity that level of collaboration negotiation with sales because salespeople says no don't do this you're going to lose the customer uh, so optimization is one thing usability is another collaboration negotiation all of these need to be combined in that what we call the user experience because mm. that's really what matter user experience what what is it that they experience when they sit behind their desk and use your application Cyrus, your journey that you've been on personally and and and, and this business professionally I, it, I i can only imagine the the ups and the downs this way, that way. But it's, if anything, it's always moving forward for this worldwide supply chain, be able to help the economy. I appreciate your, also your excitement when you can see your hand in the involvement of the economy itself. Um, thank you so much for, for sharing your insights and the journey that you've been on. For those that want to learn more about ADEXA, you can go to adexa.com. That's A-D-E-X-A.com. And thanks again, Cyrus, for, for joining yes. us. It's been a wonderful experience. Thank you so much. We'll see you all on the next episode of Uptech Report. Have you seen a company using AI, machine learning, or other technology to transform the way we live, work, and do business? Go to uptechreport.com and let us know.